And you are tuned to WVKN in Bridgeport. Stay tuned for the organic farm stand coming right up. Corn in the fields and listen to the rice when the wind blows across the water. King harvest is surely come. I work for the union because she's so good to me. And I'm WPKN's Organic Farm Stand, which comes to you the first and third Thursday of each month. My name is Richard Hill. Laura, Laura, I was going to say Mono. <laughs> you almost I was going to say Mono. Yeah, Laura Mylan is here Hi. right across the console. Hi, Laura. Um, and uh, Steve Mono is also with us from Masaro Farm. Steve, are you there? Yes, yes. Great to be here. Yeah, this is going to be a, oh, what an incredibly busy day we have. This is so busy. My head is buzzing with buzzy bees. Uh-oh. Buzzy bees are buzzing in my brain. Yeah, because you know why? Do you know why, Laura? Why you're buzzing? Oh, <laughs> I think it's because of what special week this is. You mean the uh, solar lunar thing? Oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking of, uh, no, no, I was thinking okay. of the fundraising. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because it's fund drive. This is a June fund drive. It's leading up to the end of our fiscal year. This is big. This is major. This is, I, I mean, the, the energy around the studio is crazy here. People, I mean, you have staff buying all our premiums. It's, it's nutty. But the listeners have to get in on the act, too. So that's what we're going to be doing this hour. But we also got an incredibly busy uh, schedule of other things happening because Laura's going to do her report. Steve's going to do his. And then we have a special guest uh, from the uh, Real Organic Project up in Thetford, Vermont, Dave Chapman, who is the co-director of the Real Organic Project, is going to be here on the phone talking about a very important position paper letter that the uh, many organic certifiers have issued to, uh, well, we're going to hear all about it it's starting at 1230, so I don't want to give, give away the punchline. But uh, Dave Chapman, The Real Organic Project, an incredibly important organization that uh, uh, promotes the real organic uh, culture that is uh, threatened by big ag. So let's kick it off. Let's kick this thing off. And by the way, we want to mention that we are doing fundraising this hour. So every once in a while, we're going to interject a word or two about that. We have some premiums, special premiums, that we're offering right here from the Organic Farm Stand team from Steve at Masaro Farm and from Laura um, <laughs> Maudlin. 
going to slap myself in the face every time I say, Laura Modlin is going to offer some of her special premiums. So, before we mention those, let's get to the Solar Lunar Report. Okay, so, you know... I think we need a moment of silence to to feel because, you know, next week is the is the summer solstice and we only have one more minute of daylight to gain between now and then in six days in the next six days. Interesting. And and, yeah. And um, and then, you know, it's all going to be downhill from there. (laughs) That's right. Good. (laughs) I'm glad you you said that because we do start grieving right after the solstice. And, but then, you know, but then we only have six months to go until it starts picking up again, until it starts building more daylight again in oh, December. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I had I had this friend, very dear friend to me, uh, Ruben Abreu, who was a great WPKN programmer, who actually mentored me in to how to run the board and stuff when I first started programming back in the... I won't even tell you how long ago, but it was before 2000. And he uh, passed away recently. But anyway, Ruben Abreu, um, he used to have a a winter solstice party. And he's Puerto Rican. He hates cold weather. And I was like, Ruben, why are you having this party on the winter solstice when you hate winter so much? And he said, because we could start... Hoping, day. yeah, hoping for the uh, you know for the return of de- of light, and so mm-hmm. by the same token, we need to have a kind of a sort of a funeral, funeral, grieving, grieving, grieving yeah. session here. Yeah, yeah I know because because um, it's all it's all down. I was actually looking. I don't really want to. You know, we're it's going to be three weeks until our next show, and so um, well, let me just say today we our sunrise was at five nineteen, and tonight the sunset. Will be at eight twenty-seven, and then so the solstice is next week, and then the next show in three weeks on July sixth. Um, between now and then, we're going to lose six minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Steve, how you, how you feeling about that? You gonna- uh, it's, it's okay. I'm I'm feeling great actually, but um, yeah, the the, the numbers um, paint a picture for us for sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, it hits it hits me right in the gut. So I just so I just mm-hmm. want to say, that. go ahead, Laura. Okay. What else? So um, last time we had um, brought up the topic of twilight, and I had I had failed to include that in my reports so far. But um, I just wanted to put a little bit about that in today um, because twilight it's it's basically usually called dawn or dusk. That's the twilight time. So. Um, so where where did I put that? Um, oh, okay. So today the AM twilight started at four forty five. So that the twilight is between was between four forty five and the sunrise when it comes up over the horizon at five nineteen. And tonight um, the PM twilight will end at nine. Um, after you know sunset at eight twenty seven, mm. so there's that little dusky time there. We'll still have that. That's, that's that's really important because actually, when you think about it, people can still be out and doing stuff. Right. There's still light out there. Now I'm not even going to talk about the 
Dawn stuff because that's you know yeah. that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't even, impact you. I don't even, I can't even compute that. But the uh, but the but the twilight is that's a magical time for me. And it's yeah, nice. It's, it's a beautiful time. The color yeah. of the sky usually isn't you know unless it's cloudy is a nice. There's a lot of smoke. It's nice blue. <laughs> <laughs> um, we survived all that smoke, so that's good. And um, I just want to mention that the the new moon is on the 18th which is in three days and um it's begins the buck moon cycle so does anyone know why it's called the buck moon and it will be full on july 3rd before the next show so mm, do you know okay. why it's called do you know why it's called the buck moon i haven't a clue steve well, I mean, it's got to have something to do with the, the deer and maybe their mating or just the development of the antlers on the bucks, I would guess. Yes. Well, you got better than I did. I had to look it up. Um, Steve, got, <laughs> Steve got it last time, too. Yeah, got, yeah. It's about, um, it's called the buck moon because the antlers of the male deer bucks are in their full growth mode right now. And mm. they shed and regrow their antlers every year. And... Um, and each year, it it becomes larger and more impressive set for their antlers. And I also just want to mention, since you know it, our next show is after the full buck moon, that it will be a super moon, and the only moon large, the closer, the only super moon closer this year will be the the August thirtieth blue moon, and that will be the closest this year. But. Um, it's going to be really nice, and um, that's on July third, the day before um, Independence Day. And so, if you look southeast after sunset, you'll see it rise in the sky. And, and the super moon is just this—it's like the major, major, big, big old thing. Those that, big, big moons, and this one, like I said, will be the second largest. Super, we have a we have a bunch of super moons this year, and the, it'll be the second largest super moon this year, meaning it, the closest, second closest. Is there a color associated with the super moons? I or, don't know, not that I know. I, don't I mean, know. some of them are, you know, those. There's sometimes they, when they rise, they're like this unbelievable like orange, orange. color. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. It probably has to do with the angle, or you know, I'm, mm. I, I'm sorry, I failed you there because <laughs> I don't have the answer to that. Although the moons were orange when we had all that smoke, but um, <laughs> right, we can pass on that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's going. But you know, it's it's going to be. It's hopefully it'll be really nice. Full moon this year with nice clear clear sky. Yeah, yeah, we, we we deserve it. We earned it this year. We did. And all righty. So, is that conclude your report? All done. All right, beautiful. Actually, um, as I said, we're going to intersperse our normal programming here with our pitch to our listeners, to our wonderful organic community out there, who hopefully is glued to their devices listening to the show. And who are where else would they be? <laughs> yeah, or they could be anywhere with you know listening on their. They could listen anywhere. Yeah, they, with their um, with the WPKN app, which they could listen to, you know, like as they're strolling through the woods someplace. Uh, but let's just say that we have some mab, uh, marvelous premiums. Uh, Steve Mono, uh, would you care to mention the premiums actually that the Masaro Farm is offering? Yeah, yeah, gladly. So 
we are happy to offer some of our jarred tomato products, uh, a, a basket of our a jar of our marinara sauce, our crushed tomatoes, and our heirloom salsa, and our Bloody Mary mix. So that's one one sort of mixed basket of the jarred tomato products that we make. Those are our certified organic tomatoes that we bring into Gracie's Kitchen in New Haven, and they, they uh, process and jar them for us, and then we have them available. So we'll put them in a basket for you. Uh, so it's one of our items. And our second item uh, will fit right into our report here, but that's a, a, a three-week CSA trial with pickup here at Masaro Farm. So we're offering, as, as one of these premiums, a trial of our CSA uh, with Friday pickup at the farm. And this is actually the beginning of our CSA. We, our CSA began this week. We had our first pickup on Tuesday, and we have our, our first pickup for Friday tomorrow. Um, and if you, you know, support WPKN in this way, you can um, join, you know, for a three-week trial of our CSA. If you want to continue on, that'll be up to you. Um, and you can sign up to continue with the CSA. But uh, this gives you a three-week chance to try out a CSA, whether you've been in a CSA or not. Um, we'd love to have you up here and, and try it out and support WPKN and uh, continue on uh, with us if you'd like after that. Wonderful. Okay. And, and just to note that we have sort of set the prices on these, that the, the tomato product package, uh, that's $50. $50 for that. And it's a basket of, of different tomato products, the crushed tomatoes, the marinara sauce, the Bloody Mary mix, and one other thing, I think, right? Um, the, the salsa. salsa. Yeah, the salsa, I, I yeah. will attest, I've had the crushed tomatoes, and they're so delicious. And I've had the marinara sauce. It was incredible. And by the way, interestingly, we left that, you know, we, we had, ate half of it in, in our first foray with um, Capellini. I won't eat any other kind of pasta. Has to I, be love ca- I love Capellini. That's my be, favorite. Yeah, it's got to be. So and uh, and half of it was sitting in the in the refrigerator for a good three weeks, and we were like, "Oh my God, is it going to go bad? We got to use it." And guess what? It was completely cool, no mold, no nothing. So I think there's a little bit of pepper it's in fresh. there. It's fresh. It's really fresh. It's fresh, and and there's also but a lot of organic things go bad sooner because they true. don't have you know preservatives. Um, but uh, this one, in this case, that that sauce, it, it's just held its uh, integrity for over three weeks. I know really the crushed tomatoes were really bold in their flavor. Uh, really bold. Bold. Yeah, it was delicious. I, I still have an, I saved the other jar and I'm going to have to come back and get some more. All right. Well, anyway, $50, $50 pledge for those. We hope to get some calls on that. And Marie is standing by to take your pledge. And the sample CSA, three-week uh, sample Trial, uh, we've put a, a price on that of 150 for that. And I'm sure that you're going to in- appreciate that. Masara Farm is a wonderful place. You will enjoy going out there. And uh, I'll tell you, if the uh, tomato products are any um, indication, the, the vegetables that are produced there are just, you know, non-pari is the only way to say it. All right, let's shift right over to Steve and uh, see what's going on there. You mentioned that this might be the start of your CSA, so what's the news? Yeah, yeah, it's week one, and um, it's always an exciting time. You know, we welcome people back on the farm. You know, we, we see people throughout the winter for various events and when we go out to the markets, but it's really a great time kind of starting the season and, and welcoming people back. 
Um, so we, we do a pickup on Tuesday and on Friday, and we do a delivery into New Haven on Wednesday. So the CSA is happening, and it's full of the things that we might expect early in the season from us. We have got strawberries, which you know are really fantastic. We've had a, a nice strawberry season so far. Uh, we have garlic scapes. We have scallions, we have lettuce, we have kale, and we have a mix of different herbs, cilantro, dill, and mint. Uh, and we actually include some of our salsa in that first CSA distribution as well. Um, so it's a nice mix of, of products. Um, we've got lots planted on the farm, and we still have, you know, today actually we're going to work on our next succession of plantings of um, flowers and lettuce and scallions are going to go in the ground this afternoon. We had our, our crew was out um, pruning uh, tomatoes in the tunnels today and, and trellising some of our cucumbers as well. So there's lots happening. It's a, it's a nice time. And I'd say we've been really appreciating the cooler weather, even though it's delayed some of our plant growth a little bit. You know, anytime we can soak in a little bit of cooler conditions in the summer, we will do that because, you know, the, the summers have gotten hotter and hotter and the, the memory of last summer being hot still leaves a little blistering on my skin, actually. So mm. I think, uh, you know, enjoying some of this coolness, even though it's a, a delay, you know, in, in the crop growth, because we would expect warmer nights in June. You know, we've had plenty of nights in, in the 40s and, and low 50s. Um, so the things that we plant out, you know, in late May or mid-May and late May, like our tomatoes and our peppers and eggplants and our cucumbers and summer squash, they're definitely behind in their growth. But, you know, summer is coming, no doubt. And um, uh, it being a little bit later than usual is fine by fine by us for now. We're we're also conditions a little more pleasant. We're also expecting yeah. a lot of rain in the next week, which maybe will help. Some rain will help too. You know, it's interesting for us. We had so much rain in early May, and then we had you know twenty days with no rain at all. So that, that's how it goes. We get you know bogged down with too much rain, and then a, a, a long spell with no rain. Um, we had a couple of storms pass through the last few days, which were nice to have, and looks like we'll have a good soaking next week too. So you know, we need a mix of, of the of rain and sunshine. Um, but for now, I've just been been relishing the coolness. Uh, that that gene has provided so far. So no rush to get into the high heat and humidity that uh, is probably coming. Um, Although, you know, every year is different. So who knows what uh, July and August will bring. But I expect it to warm up and our crops to respond appropriately um, in the weeks ahead. What is the... um what what's the schedule for tomatoes uh, this year? Do you, do you produce those because you start them? I, I presume in the high tunnels and the greenhouses. Do they do they mm-hmm. come earlier than like if you were growing them just normally in your garden? Yeah, yeah, they they do and they should. I mean, I think most people will find that by August they'll have. Um, you know, tomatoes growing, but it's still, you know, it's a little late to plant them now, but it's okay to plant them in, in mid-June too, because our summers are such that, you know, conditions are still great for them in September. Um, so we get a lot of tomato harvest in, in August and September, uh, but ours, we expect to start harvesting in mid or late July. Uh, and maybe this year it'll be a little bit later as a result of it being a little cooler at this time. Um, but yeah, we, we start seeds in the greenhouse in March, you know, we're sort of watching them grow and potting them up from the, the small trays that we start them into a slightly bigger tray. And then we get them outside by, you know, mid-May is the hope. Um, 
and some are we plant in the tunnels, which encourages them their growth a little faster. And so the ones that we are growing in our high tunnels, again, that's you know covered with plastic to kind of give us that greenhouse effect, but no additional heat to to encourage it on. Uh, but you can see, you know, if you were looking out at the field like I am right now, you could see our tunnel tomatoes are, are quite a bit bigger than our field tomatoes, which are just growing out in the you know open air and open soil. Uh, so they're not. Um, they're not going to be on the same growth trajectory. So, but our earlier ones, we hope by mid July we'll have them, and then the field ones will come on a little bit later. Wow, It'd be nice to be uh, a CSA member when they they start arriving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, any other news out there, like events on the farm coming up, uh, summer celebrations, etc. Et the, the big things happening first. We have our summer camp starting in a couple of weeks. So if you, you know, have got kids that are age five to thirteen, we have a few spots left, and you can sign up weekly. So camp starts in two weeks, uh, and we have uh, six weeks of camp. So from that last week of June through the first week of August, uh, weekly camps. Uh, we've got sort of a, a five to ten year old camp and a ten to thirteen year old camp. Um, just a few spots left each week. Um, for anyone who might want to join. So we're getting ready for camp. We also um, have a summer youth employment program, which, which is full, but that's going to be starting next week. So we have a, a handful of teenagers we hire for the summer. They'll be joining us. So a lot of fun stuff happening. And we'll have workshops and events throughout uh, on the farm. Uh, just Tuesday night, we had the big green truck pizza here. And they, we have a, a couple of pizza nights on the farm throughout the summer. So we'll send out notes about that. The next one is the the week after the 4th of July, so it's July 11th. Uh, We'll have the pizza truck back out here. So it's just a nice night to come out, and we we try to have a few, you know, farm tours and opportunities for people to explore on the farm and in the trail. And our our fairy house trail is still there from our Celebrate Springs. A lot of the artists decided to leave their fairy house installations on the farm, so you can walk about and see that great artwork from some of our local artists. It really adds something to the farm, and so... Um, yeah, come join us uh, that night, July 11th, uh, or, or check out our website for other programs and events we've got going on. Wonderful. And that website address is? org. All right. Very good. Thank you, Steve. We'll come back to you for more. I just want to mention uh, that we are doing some fundraising during this show, which is unusual. We normally kind of just sort of... Uh, avert our eyes from the, from the, from the madness and just do our regular programming. But we, since we have such uh, great offerings from our our crew here, uh, from Steve and from Laura, uh, we decided to jump in, jump in and uh, just see if we sink or swim. So let's hope that we do get some some support for the show. We know that, uh, you know, audiences fluctuate. Sometimes you're listening. Sometimes you have something else going on. You're too busy to listen. But we hope you're out there listening today and you do jump in and join us with uh, lending support, putting your shoulder to the wheel here at WPKN and helping this scrappy independent station move forward yet through another, uh, you know, another fun drive and pushing into another fiscal year with a little bit of uh, wind in our sails. Laura, what's going on? You're going to tell us about your premiums, I think. Okay. Oh, but first I just want to mention that um, the Southbury Farmer's Market, it begins today, um, 3 to 6 p.m. every Thursday until the fall. 
Good to hear so that. Good to hear that. They're really yeah. great. It's very good farmers market. Um, oh yeah. So so the premiums I brought were um, a. With nature photos, with, this, with sky photos, um, pens and a set of pens and a set of um, coasters, and um, I think they're they're very pretty. <laughs> and they, <laughs> Not and they, to be shy. Yeah, and, and they, they both. Are, they are. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Steve knows about oh, them too. Oh, I gave. Yeah, he got some pens. Uh, yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. And guess what? They write. They actually, the pens They're very, write. I've been using them for ages, and they, they dispense, work really well. Yeah, they dispense ink onto paper and other uh, coarse objects. You can write on. They, they don't stop writing, which is really good. A lot of ballpoint pens, they, you know, they crap out after <laughs> after three days or something. So they're pretty good quality pens, and they have lovely images on them, created yes, by Laura. Thank you. Yeah. And they're packaged love beautifully in what kind of fabric? Organzo pouches with suns and with stars and moons. Beautiful. And how many pens in each pouch? Each pouch has seven pens, and um, there's four sets available. And each um, coaster set has four coasters, and um, there's four sets of those available. All right, and this, and for the pens, we're asking twenty five, and for the coasters, thirty five. Okay, so there you go, a, a real, you know, low end participation is being solicited here for people that want to. You know, listening to pecan for the first time, you're not sure if you want this station to survive. <laughs> Please help us. <laughs> you can join in at a very very reasonable price there. So the pen set for 25? 25, 25. And the coasters, 35. Seven pens and two coasters per set? Four. Oh, per four sets. And the coasters work. You know, you can put them on your table. They're really nice. They have cork on the bottom and they're just really nice. And, and they have images. And they, they, they have my, what, I'm, what I call my crazy sky images because, um, you know, they're, they're the really kind of extreme sky photos. Ooh, like. Like different colors and like sharp like angles and stuff. Oh, okay. I hope they're not too extreme. No, no, no. They're, they'll look lovely in your home. <laughs> no, not, not extreme like that. I just mean, you know, no. we don't see all these colors in the sky every day. Indeed. Well, and guess what? You can put a cup on them and they don't disintegrate. They're, they're, fun- they're really, you know, functional coasters. Very solid, very solid. And I think they would, um, you know, I have some of those too at home, obviously. And um, they just add something nice. They, they, it's nice. It's better than boring old coasters. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody likes a boring coaster. So uh, you are listening to WPKN and this is the Organic Farm Stand. We come to you the first and third Thursday of each month. As Laura pointed out, the next show won't be until July 3rd? Six. Six. Oh, my God. After uh, the... Um, full moon. The full moon and Independence Day. Yeah. Uh, the mad madcap uh, celebrations and all the noise and uh, fireworks and parades. We will be here to pick up the mess and to carry on. But in the middle of this show, we are in the middle of the June fund drive. This comes down to the end of our fiscal year, and we are really trying to make it like a, a solid effort here from, uh, from all PECAN staff, and of course we're participating. So please join us and lend your support. 
In a moment, we will be joined by Dave Chapman. He's the co-director of The Real Organic Project. He's going to talk about us, talk to us about a very important uh, initiative that's being pursued by his organization and also many other certifying organizations and uh, farm collectives, organic farm uh, participants of all types. And he's going to tell us all about that in a moment or two. Is is Dave on the line? He's right? on the line. Oh, my God. Uh, so I'll uh, yeah. Okay, you know? get him ready. All right. And um, so we'll, in a moment, we'll bring him in. Steve, last words from you in terms of uh, what do we can expect going forward in the next couple of weeks? Sure. Well, hopefully, you know, things will warm up a little bit. But as Laura mentioned, the South Ferry Farmers Market, I, I realized I neglected to, to share. An exciting thing here was this, the start of CDC's Q House Market at the, the Q House uh, Community House on Dixwell Ave in New Haven. Uh, oh. It runs on Wednesday afternoons uh, from the middle of June to the end of October. So it's a really great market. La- last year was the first year. And this is the second year, so we're hoping to grow it more. But it, it's, a, it's a great space. It's a good community, and um, we'd love to see more folks out there Wednesday afternoons from 3 to 6 p.m. So we had an opening market yesterday with some scattered thunderstorms, uh, but the market went on. You know, we kept it safe, and uh, the people came out, but um, we're hoping for some better weather on Wednesdays uh, in the weeks ahead. That. Yeah, that's a, a, a really um, a, a neighborhood that you might say doesn't have a whole lot of fresh produce available in, in the in the little bodegas and stores there. What how how do the how does the neighborhood respond to the community? How does it respond to the farmers market there? I, I think people have been really excited to see it there, and you know the community house was uh, so it's called the Q House was was rebuilt and redone recently, and so I think it's it's you know as the name implies, it's meant to be a sort of a center of community, and having a farmers market in that space is a really wonderful idea. And you know I think any market takes a little bit of time to grow, but we've been really happy to be there. Um, City Seed's done a tremendous job of getting it together, and um, so the hope is that, you know, it'll grow throughout this year and in the years ahead. Fantastic. I'm so glad to hear that that's happening. Ha- having been a resident of New Haven for 30 years, uh, you know, it's it's wonderful that there's this um, kind of spreading culture of providing fresh produce to different neighborhoods in New Haven. It's really great. Uh, so um, I think we should just plunge right in and bring Dave Chapman uh, into the show. Dave, are you with us? Yes, I am, Richard. So glad you could join us. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, you are the co-director of the Real Organic Project, but you're also uh, a farmer yourself. And tell us, uh, before we get into the topic of the day, which is to have you talk about the Organic Agriculture is Soil-Based Position Paper. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, remind our listeners what the Real Organic Project is, what, how it started, and what, what its mission is. You bet, you bet. So, um, like you, we are a scrappy group of farmers and eaters, so it's a coalition of, of people who eat food and people who grow food. And uh, we really grew out of the failures of the USDA in, in administering the National Organic Program to uh, a way that 
integrity and transparency of what they were doing, which was the the purpose of having a national organic program. Um, and, you know, there was a particularly messy meeting down in Florida uh, in 2017 in which we simply realized that we weren't going to get back what we were losing and we'd better do it ourselves. So we, we created uh, the Real Organic Project, and the purpose is to educate, delight, and unite um, a reborn organic movement around exactly what the organic movement has always been built on. But I think I think the organic movement had got a little bit confused when the, when the USDA got involved, and we actually started to believe the same things that the USDA believed, which was that they were in charge of defining organic. And honestly, they're not competent to do that. God bless them, they do some things well, but that's not one of them. <laughs> So we're 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 reclaiming reclaiming the mantle of organic. It's too important to give up. It's too important to turn over to people who really don't understand it. And uh, it's going pretty well. We got over a thousand farms that have applied for and gotten certified by us. And we're our standards for farms. It, the standards are very simple. We're an add-on to the USDA program, so to even be considered. You have to be certified with the USDA, and, and we understand that many great organic farms are not certified and respect that. But there there are reasons to do this. There are reasons to build a, a united movement, and that's what we're doing. All right. Yeah, so and it, certainly the name The Real Organic Project <clears throat> implies that there's something missing from the just the USDA organic label. And we can get into some of those failures and some of the compromises that have been made by USDA as they've been lobbied and, and pretty much swarmed over by big ag in their effort to get in on t the organic uh, con uh, market, which is, which is now a very huge multi-billion dollar market that uh, exists in the country right now. Big Ag and other gigantic corporations are you know, saying, well, wow, this is a, you know, a, a, a money pit that we want to participate in. The compromises that have occurred are things I think that the Real Organic Project is trying to combat. Talk, talk to us about this um, organic agriculture is soil-based position paper. Uh, and to kick off the discussion, maybe I'll read a statement from the Real Organic website, which goes as follows. A handful of highly respected organic certifiers have been quietly meeting for the last two years, creating a position paper on why they refuse to break the law by certifying hydroponic production. Their refusal has not made the USDA happy. Take it from there, Dave. What, uh, what's this all about? Yeah, well, that was well said. Yeah, um, well written. <laughs> so, you you know, there there. Uh, I I asked uh, one certifier whom I really respect from Nebraska, Sam Welsh, who runs one cert. I said, "What do you think of of Vermont Organic Farmers, which was the group I helped start many years ago, and they are now a USDA certifier?" And he said, "Oh, they're the very best." Uh, 
He said, and the, the further you get from there, the further you get from from the Northeast, the worse it gets. Uh, you know, it, there's there's less corporate influence on organic in New England than there is in the rest of the country. And the most corporate influence is in the Southwest, in California and Texas. And um, not to say that everything in those places is is fake there's lots of real organic but there's lots of corporate organic which has twisted the meaning of organic so you know in texas you've got these huge confinement livestock operations that are being certified as organic dairy farms and in california you've got these huge expanses of berries of hydroponic berries being grown and certified as organic and in both cases, they're not organic. They don't meet the, the letter of the law, and um, they shouldn't be certified. And we all know it. You know, everybody in the organic movement knows without a shadow of a doubt that uh, a, a Herbrook's, you know, uh, egg factory should not be called organic eggs. And yet, you know, they represent, that one company represents uh, over a tenth of the certified organic eggs sold in the country. And when you look at confined confinement eggs that shouldn't be permitted to be called organic, you're looking at over 70% of the organic eggs in America sold as organic just shouldn't be certified. So we've kind of lost control of the ship. And and what do we do? So this, this particular position paper was written by uh, five certifiers plus the Real Organic Project five USDA certifiers who said, we are not going to follow the directives of the USDA. We're going to follow the law, and we refuse to certify hydroponics as organic. This is a very courageous step for these, for these uh, companies. The, these companies, uh, you know, this is Vermont Organic Farmers and Mosca for Maine and and you know uh, all of the all of the NOFAs. By the way, this this position paper has been supported and signed on to by over seventy organizations, including all of the chapters of NOFA um, and the NOFA Interstate Council. So again, there's not a lot of debate about about what do we mean by organic. The debate is about whether or not the sheriff is going to follow the law or whether the sheriff is going to work for the mine owner and and uh, to help take advantage of of the uh, the citizens of the town where you happen to live in where the big mine is so that's what we're trying to do and I think it's a it's a big deal that these certifiers have gotten together they were in the process of getting picked off one at a time um, so the USDA had issued a non-compliance to one of the certifiers, the one who was most vocal about what they were doing and why. And um, the way things were going, they would no longer be allowed to be a certifier for the USDA. So it was very important that, that these certifiers came together and said, no, we're, we're all together in this, and you can't just pick us off one at a time. And now, now, Richard, it's important that we, the people, support these certifiers who have taken this this bold step and say you know you you can't you can't just attack these certifiers you've you've got to you've got to respect them 
and you've got to, you know, we have to protect them. I I'm have many questions, but I want to give uh, uh, one of our co-participants here, Steve Munno, uh, who is the uh, manager of Massaro Farm in uh, Woodbridge, Connecticut. Steve, uh, you you want to jump in with any 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 comment or question? Well, I, I would start by saying, you know, I'm really grateful to Dave and the Real Organic Project team for, for putting this paper out. I think it's really clear um, and, and persuasive, you know, whether you already know the issues or don't. I think it's a really important read. Um, you know, and, and, and Dave was kind enough to be our, our keynote speaker some years ago. I want to say maybe five years ago but at our winter conference at Connecticut NOFA. Um, and, you know, that really... Uh, helped bring the issue to to the forefront for us, and, and I would say we experience it, you know, on this sort of national level, but also locally. And, and people need to understand what they're buying because, you know, consumers who are choosing organic um, need, need to know what they're what they're getting. And so I see it in the markets that we go to here. There are others. There are other vendors who are in Connecticut. They're they're great farms. They're great farmers. They're they're doing it differently. They're doing but they're getting that same label and we're really not doing the same things. Uh, Massaro farm is, is uh, and our organic operation is, is not the same as someone else's hydroponic farm. And, and uh, they're getting lumped together under the organic label. And that's, it's, it's not right. They're not, you're not getting what the consumer isn't getting what they think they're getting in that case. Um, so, and that's not a knock on the hydroponic, uh, but it's just, they're, they're different. Uh, they're fundamentally different. And so, you know, I think, the Real Organic Project, getting this together and grouping the, you know, the certifiers coming together for this is, is really important. And um, I'm, I'm hoping we'll see some, some, some ripple effects from this. Thanks, Steve. And you are listening to the Organic Farm Stand. We are doing fundraising during this hour. So please join in. And I believe the number to call is 203-331-9756. 203-331-9756. Of course, if you do call that number, Anne-Marie or Steve will give you all the information you need and also the special premiums that we're offering right here from the uh, Organic Farm Stand staff, um, from uh, Laura Modlin and from Steve Munno at Massaro Farm. Some wonderful things which they will tell you about if you call. <clears throat> and that is 203-331-9756. My name is Richard Hill, here with Laura Modlin and Steve Munno, and our special guest today, Dave Chapman, co-director of The Real Organic Project. Laura, do you have a question for uh, for Dave? Yeah, hi, Dave. Um, so in the last, it's been about in the last 10 years when a lot of the successful organic um, producers um have been bought up by the larger corporations and um, it, it became kind of clear that these corporations were going to be lobbying to water down organic standards and I'm just wondering in your opinion to to what extent could reaching out to your representatives um, do anything? Yeah. <laughs> That's a <laughs> well it's a it's a tough thing and we're, we're all in the same boat about almost everything. Um, I, you know, in every aspect of our world, things are getting more and more consolidated in terms of the power. If you look at our supermarkets, the number of supermarkets competing with each other has shrunk dramatically as there's really about five or six chains now that own all the supermarkets in America. 
and you know Whole Foods is owned by Amazon and 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 uh, Shaw's is owned by Kroger's and Hannaford's is owned by Ahold USA which is a a Dutch company and so is Giant owned by Ahold and on and on and on and so is Stop and Shop right all of these used to compete with each other now they're all owned by one company and the outcome of this consolidation of power is that um that great concentration of wealth has an inordinate impact on government. And we know this. And that's why back in 1890, the Sherman Antitrust Act was passed. It was the great age of reform trying to limit the power of these huge monopolies. And that act was used to break up Standard Oil of New Jersey because it was too much influence over the government. It wasn't to protect the consumer. This is a really fascinating thing that the Sherman Antitrust Act was not to protect the consumer from high prices. It was to protect the citizen from a government that was no longer responsive to the to the desires of the people. And that that law is not really enforced anymore. It and 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 it'd be hard to enforce it because those companies have a great deal of influence. So we have a challenge here, and it's certainly not limited to what do we call organic. It's limited to almost every aspect of our lives. And we all have to work together to try and turn that around. The, I am inspired by the fact that once upon a time in America, we did turn it around. And we did create antitrust acts that were meant to ensure that there was a diversity of economic forces in our, in our in our economy i don't know if i answered your question no. i will say that you know when i when we we look i spent years trying to reform this before i tried to create an alternative to it and uh we really did go the mile we didn't just start by saying oh to heck with these people we went and spent hours talking to legislators and showing up at meetings and it it, it didn't work you know, uh, we really lost we lost the National Organic Program during Obama's administration in that eight year period. Tom Vilsack was the mortician who helped to bury it. And, you know, that was a relatively friendly uh, uh, government to us. And it got considerably less friendly in the next four years after that. So I'm just saying the the attack on organic is bipartisan, um, and we have friends in both parties, but we have enemies in both parties. And those, it's not that they care about us; it's that they care about their corporate sponsors, right. and their corporate sponsors, the the people that we're trying to stop from calling hydroponic is organic can talk to Tom Vilsack anytime they want, and I'm sure they have at least a monthly conversation. Because these are people who run companies that are worth like a couple billion dollars. And if you have a company worth a couple billion dollars, you can talk to the Secretary of Agriculture, and he will listen. We're speaking with Dave Chapman, co-director of The Real Organic Project. Dave, tell us how many certifiers have joined in this this united front against the uh, inclusion of hydroponics as part of the uh, organic, uh, under the organic uh, 
emblem, so to speak? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I think it's I think it's about eight or nine. Um, nobody on the West Coast, and um, you know there are big certifiers out there, big international certifiers, and uh, among their clients. So, just as an example, one company. And I'll call out, they're not particularly evil. They're just a very big company, Driscoll. And, um, but they are the biggest certified organic produce company in the world, as far as I know. They're quite big. They, they have um, about 70% of the organic berry market in America is Driscoll's. So that's a monopoly by, by any, any normal definition. And... Um, the, the certifiers that work with them are not going to challenge them. They're a major, major client. If I, if I sold all my tomatoes, uh, if I sold half of my tomatoes to one store and they said, Dave, you're going to have to change this, I'd have to listen very carefully. You know, So that, that's the situation we're in. We're in an economic situation where it's hard for the certifiers to do anything except what their clients want. And their clients have the same clout with the with the Congress people who are uh, passing the laws, and then the USDA is enacting them. So we need to protect our great certifiers, and we do in the Northeast. We're privileged to. If I were in California, I would not have such uh, wonderful choices in front of me. Are the Northeast organic certifiers? Are they actually confronted with hydroponics as part of you know their you know the the kind of produce that comes through their certification on their certification track, so to speak? Is that um, is it sort of a an issue that actually plays out in real time on the ground, or is it more of a just a like a theoretical we we refuse to to certify them you know sort of in a, on a theoretical basis no it, it 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 comes up for all of them on on a very small basis and they have to decide and a few of the certifiers started to because they were getting directives from the national organic program that this was permitted clearly they were permitting it and as they thought about it as there started to be a public conversation they thought ah, you're right this isn't this isn't shouldn't be called organic and some of them have signed on to this and they said we won't certify any more hydro but we have a few farms that are hydro and we're going to grandfather them in but but we won't do it anymore we made a mistake and i, I respect that i respect that all of it in the northeast is small fairly diverse farms you get down into new york and and uh pennsylvania and you get into some fairly large grain farms or or livestock operations but the vegetables are not uh, berries are not huge and so you don't have that pressure to go hydroponic for the certifiers and tell us a little bit about the history of this like when did the threat uh, to organic standards from hydroponics first emerge and who were the big commercial interests who were advocating that hydroponic food production uh, be included under the organic label? Yeah, so it, it, 
it was not a big push at all in the beginning. Um, for a long time, there was a conversation within the National Organic Standards Board, should this be permitted, and the vote was no, no. But it was not really formally taken on until they passed a recommendation in 2010. And the recommendation was very clear that hydroponic could not be called organic. And that recommendation, this is the advisory board to the National Organic Program, and it's picked by the Secretary of Agriculture. And that recommendation was ignored. And uh, as many recommendations have been, not, not a single recommendation from that group was acted on in uh, an eight-year period, 10-year period maybe. 20 recommendations were set aside. So democracy was not functioning very well in the, in the USDA, which is no, no surprise. And, but after 2010, that's when Driscoll started to really push experimenting with growing hydroponically. And, and they've said that, that this is, uh, this is, this is their future. They, you know, for both conventional and organic, they see that it can work wonderfully. It, it does not produce the same quality food, but, but it's cheaper and and as such it's more profitable for them um that was what happened in berries which was actually a big secret for quite a while at first what was obvious was tomatoes and with that there was a big company called wholesome harvest which was primarily a mexican company although they now have a 26 acre greenhouse in arizona as well as their 40 to 50 acre greenhouse in mexico and so they were putting a lot of hydroponic tomatoes certified as organic and sold. And they were very active players in the debate around this. So was Driscoll's. These, these companies were fighting hard to get hydroponic permitted. And these are, these are big companies. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think yeah. Olson's probably about a $100 million company. Driscoll's is a couple billion dollar company. And, yeah, um, yeah they, they, they want this to, to be permitted even though they both publicly insist that nothing they grow is hydroponic. How interesting is that? Well, Dave Chapman, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we just barely scratched the surface on this topic, uh, but as we come down the stretch, uh, just mention your website and uh, where people can find the actual position paper where they can read it for themselves. Sure. Uh, realorganicproject.org. Um, and if you go there, I think the first thing you'll come to is the latest posting about the position paper. Please go sign sign on to support it. Uh, it matters. We will present this to Congress and to the Secretary of Agriculture. Fantastic. Thank you so much. We're going to have to come Thank back you, to you and get uh, get, you. get deeper into this whole topic. It's so important. Thank you. Dave Chapman, co-director of The Real Organic Project. This is The Organic Farm Stand, signing off uh, for Laura Modlin and Steve Munno. My name is Richard Hill. And do call 203-331-9756 to join in the fun drive. Organic love, baby. It's 100% natural. Yes, it is. This is the Gaia Gram.
Environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis. The current record heat wave in Mexico has engulfed most of Texas and parts of Louisiana. The heat wave in southern Texas starting this week will be extreme, at least 110 degrees Fahrenheit plus. It can be recorded for several days and 115 degrees Fahrenheit is a possibility. According to the National Weather Service, Puerto Rico endured temperatures that felt as hot as 125 degrees Fahrenheit recently, as the U.S. territory experiences excessive heat conditions that will continue for another week. The tropical island already experienced record-breaking minimum and maximum temperatures for this time of year when it jumped to 95 degrees. But the heat index, which measures how temperatures feel like to the human body, surpassed 120 degrees Fahrenheit in parts of Puerto Rico, even peaking to 125 degrees in the northern towns. Texas officials have scrambled to respond to thousands of dead fish washing up along the Gulf Coast over the weekend when temperatures there hit 92 degrees Fahrenheit. Investigators have determined the fish kill was caused by a low dissolved oxygen event. Fish kills like this are common in the summer when temperatures increase. If there isn't enough oxygen in the water, fish can't breathe. Research has shown that it is now too late to save summer Arctic sea ice, and scientists say preparations need to be made for the increased extreme weather across the northern hemisphere that is likely to occur as a result. Analysis shows that even if greenhouse gas emissions are sharply reduced, the Arctic will be ice-free in September in coming decades. A new study also shows that if emissions decline slowly or continue to rise, the first ice-free summer could be in the 2030s, a decade earlier than previous projections. According to the Japan Times, the UK's advertising regulator is cracking down on what it considers greenwashing by fossil fuel giants. A handful of newspaper, TV, and poster advertising from Shell, Repsol, and Petronas International were banned in the country for touting investments in renewable energy without mentioning the extent of each company's polluting activities. According to a new IEA analysis published recently, global energy-related carbon dioxide emissions rose by under 1% in 2022, less than initially feared, as the growth of solar, wind, EVs, heat pumps, and energy efficiency helped limit the impacts of increased use of coal and oil amid the global energy crisis. Although the rise in emissions last year was far smaller than the exceptional jump of over 6% in 2021, emissions still remain on an uncertain sustainable growth trajectory, calling for stronger actions to accelerate the clean energy transition and move the world onto a path towards meeting its energy and climate goals. Europe has lost over half a billion birds in 40 years. The single biggest cause? Pesticides and fertilizers. The data from French researchers paints a grim picture. An estimated 550 million birds have been lost from Europe's total population over the last 40 years or so. They found that chemicals used on farms to control insects and plants seen as weeds that might reduce crop yields are depriving many birds of their main food source. And this is the single biggest cause of their decline across Europe. Recently, it was World Oceans Day. Global warming is causing sea levels to rise, and Miami is one of the U.S. cities most vulnerable to this phenomenon. The sea level in South Florida has risen by nearly 8 inches since 1981 and is expected to continue rising. Even with optimal emission reduction efforts aimed at slowing global warming, 
Miami will continue to sink underwater. The Texas legislature is currently considering a bill to heavily restrict the generation of wind and solar energy. It establishes new permit requirements for affordable renewable energy, not for dirty energy sources such as coal. If passed, it would take effect this September. This was the Gaiagram, environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis. WPKN programming is supported by Novamont, a Connecticut company, manufacturers of Matterbee, a family of completely biodegradable and compostable bioplastics, which are being used to provide low environmental impact solutions for everyday products. More information is available at materbi.com slash en. This is WPKN, 89.5 FM in Bridgeport and streaming.